Welcome to our Thought Leadership Interview Series. I'm Brandon Cooper, the Chief Risk Officer here at Venminder. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Andy Lorenz. Andy is a partner at Davis Wright Tremaine and the co-leader of the firm's FinTech practice. Andy counsels clients on the full range of regulatory and consumer protection issues related to retail financial services and helps to execute transactions in the United States and abroad. He works to find the straightest path through the maze of legal and regulatory obstacles that stand in the way of clients realizing their strategic objectives. Along the way, Andy is committed to driving change within the delivery of legal services, drawing on lessons learned from the world's most innovative and disruptive companies. A member of the DWT Executive Committee, Andy is a frequent speaker at industry events, and that's actually where he and I have gotten to know each other, serving together on a couple of panels. So welcome, Andy. Well, thank you for that uh, great introduction, Brandon. I'm really flattered to participate in your program, so thank you. Thank you for joining us. That's great. Let's talk through some of the major issues that are out there you know, facing the world of third-party risk management. From your perspective, just for starters, how are financial institutions doing overall with third-party risk management? Uh, I think they're doing a better, I would put it in relative terms, is it's an extremely um, complex and thorny challenge. Uh, I, and I think that the, the financial institutions are, not only have they beefed up in terms of the quantity of folks engaged in, in, in evaluating and, and, and mitigating third-party risk, but I see the quality of the decision-making as really critical. And I feel like the quality of the decision-making from the financial institutions ha has continually um, improved over, over the past few years. So I think they're doing better, but there's, there's um, it's a constantly evolving landscape as the types of partnerships and products and services continue to evolve. So continue to, they need to uh, continue to improve. I couldn't agree with you more. It's interesting. I mean, I've, I've been involved in third-party risk or quality assurance and, and compliance risk for many, many years, and, and I've really seen just this continuing tightening or heightening, I should say, of regulatory expectations. And I think it's a challenge, not only, you know, for financial institutions, but as you have these new and innovative products that are coming to the market, just understanding how to even evaluate risk in some of these things is, is really difficult. What do you see as being the biggest struggle right now for financial institutions as it uh, relates to third-party risk? On this one, Brennan, I cheated, and I really had I had three. I couldn't quite make up my mind. Um, <laughs> so uh, the the first one, because uh, I thought this was one of the thorniest or the or the meatiest um, uh, uh, discussion topics we could probably have. Um, the first one I thought was I, I put it in the category of sort of balancing commercial opportunity with uh, compliance imperatives. And some of that has to do with you know, how do you get the right partner, excuse me, how do you uh, think about evaluating the, the, part, the potential commercial opportunity? Um, how do you, you know, find in, in, in many cases, I know, you know, and, and my perspective is informed both by work with big banks and with much smaller banks, how do you find that educated uh, FinTech that's ready to you know, uh, actually execute on that disruptive idea or that innovative, you know, channel. And, uh, you know, that's going to be a, a trustworthy partner for you. That, that's one of the, one of the first ones. Um, I think second big challenge, I think, is organizing a process uh, within the institution to systematically assess and mitigate uh, those risks in connection with the sort of, there are two levels that I see, and I'm going to compress it, actually. I'll, I'll compress this into two biggest challenges, how's that our biggest struggles. It's really, I think for me, how do you systematically assess in the context of a single opportunity and how do you then, you know, map that across a program and think about scaling it? 
And when I mean, you know, systematically assess and mitigate, what, what I've seen too often is really, it, it, instead of really true engagement in a, in a spirit of, you know, coming up with a compliance solution that best leverages banks' infrastructure, you know, lowest cost for both, um, best leverages the, the fintech strengths, particularly around customer acquisition and user experience, because that's where they so excel. Um, and, 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 you know, how, how do you sort of map those two things together um, and, and work through it collaboratively rather than sort of these lurches and fits and starts where, you know, the bank will say that's a non-starter and the fintech partner would say that's a non-starter. And, and you have kind of these, you know, you kind of have a series of breakpoints where things get escalated instead of a true spirit of, um, you know, collaboration and working through it um, uh, together. Those are the best, you know, I think the best partnerships are where you can get to that place quickly where there's a spirit of, you know, tr trying to get to a, a compliance solution, you know, um, it, again, with the straightest, straightest path possible. Yeah, I, I agree as well. You know, it's interesting. We, we actually formed what was called an initial risk committee um, to look at, at new partnerships as they came in the door and try to vet out all the possible questions we, we might want to ask ahead of time so that we weren't having some of those stops and starts and tried to kind of you know, not have those huge peaks and valleys where you feel like, you know, you're at odds with your uh, potential third party from the get-go. So I, I do think that is one of the uh, biggest, biggest struggles out there. What advice would you have, you know, besides following the regulatory guidance? You know, what best practices do you see out there in managing risk? Well, one thing is, I, I think you're exactly right, is, you know, you've got, you've got to have a, a, a really good sense for what the guidance says. and it is surprising how often folks have missed a piece of guidance. Uh, so that's important, and, th and that speaks to trying to have as broad a possible sort of dragnet. Um, like, Brandon, I know in, in your activity out in the community, out and speaking and, you know, engaging with others and, and professional peers, I think that's so important. And you want, uh, I think, both from the financial institution side, you're, you're hoping that your professionals will be out and doing that. And you're hoping that your 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 um, your fintech partners will will be sort of taking the same approach. Uh, the best ones are re there really is a quite a developed community. Sometimes it it, it lapses into groupthink, uh, and that that's a risk, um, particularly on the fintech side. Some of that is wishful thinking, right? Folks just want to find um, want to believe there's a magic bullet that they don't have to comply with 50 state, you know, fill in the blank, whatever the requirement is. Um, but so I think staying out in the community and 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 being active and um, and 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 being communi uh, communicative with others, you know, you, you you make your deposit of best practices and you make your you know withdrawals from others and share. Um, also being aware that not all the legal analysis this is a little bit self-serving perhaps from the from the lawyer, but not all of that legal analysis is created equal. Uh, some of it is is generally better than others. Um, and so you have to really uh, have a, you know, take a, make a realistic appraisal of what I guess I consider the size of the gray zone and, you know, and sort of, you know, whether people do various ways of shading risk or um, assessing risk or, um, or grading risk, um, you know, whether things are red, yellow, or green, or you have a one through 10 or, a, you know, low, medium, or high. Um, you know, really, really understanding uh, the nature of the risk and 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 what uh, you know where you fit on that continuum is really important, and not letting it be shaded by again wishful thinking. 
right? Yeah, not certainly not that one-size-fits-all approach to risk management that sometimes <laughs> is the easy way out of this. You know, one, one hot topic that I think has really come up a lot over the past year in particular, given all the data breaches, is cybersecurity. How concerned do you think we should be right now with cybersecurity? I think I think it's a, as you said a pretty a pretty hot uh, hot and very important topic. I think um, there are you know there there are both both dimensions. It, it almost seems like the 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 the, the permission you know consumer permissioned uh, access to data and data use is a little bit eclipsed for the moment. Um, you know the cybersecurity issues themselves. So it's, it's both of those issues with data in terms of, you know, making sure that your customers truly appreciate what it is you're doing with their information as well as safeguarding it. So I, I, I expand a little bit on that question. It's a huge topic in cybersecurity alone, and, it, and it's even bigger now, right? Again, with, um, with the concept of, you know, what did the, the user or consumer actually uh, give permission uh, to do with their information and uh, to what degree what degree the, the the data controller is actually aware of it? Um, to uh, what what degree are folks actually um, you know compliant or ready for um, the the EU's GDPR, uh, which is uh, coming up on us in a matter of weeks in terms of effectiveness? Um, so all of those issues, uh, I think that you know with the with the new cybersecurity reg, still I can call it new. I think in New York, um, I call it new because I think we're just looking at the very first examinations under that reg um, and you know by all accounts uh, New York is taking a very a very serious uh, approach to um, examinations of, of compliance under under their regulation which is no surprise uh, so many dimensions I'd love to hear your your take I, I certainly think it is probably the hottest topic out there right now I mean I can't imagine going through an exam right now without cybersecurity being a major major focus and you're right the NYDFS is always been known, has always been known as one of the most aggressive state uh, enforcement agencies out there. So I, I'm sure they're, you know, really putting the, the teeth into their new regulation. And it'll be interesting to see how the other states step up as well. I mean, one of the uh, current topics out there is as CFPB is kind of uh, sitting back a little bit right now, you know, which of the state regulators come rushing in. And I do think one of the major points they are going to be looking at will be, you know, a firm's readiness or preparedness to respond to cybersecurity incidents. I imagine a lot of people are going to be asked in their exams this year about, you know, in the wake of the Equifax scandal, you know, what, what steps have you taken and how, how are you helping to protect your consumers? So I, I do. I, I think it's a big, big topic. Very good point. You know, do you feel like risk management in, in general is getting enough attention from senior management and the board? And, you know, how can they better demonstrate their level of involvement? Uh, this, is, this is a really interesting question for, um, you know, from an outside counsel perspective, because I, I don't get as much insight in terms of how those sorts of issues are, um, are escalated. I have some. Um, my sense is that it it, it is a, a sort of in the in the I would put it in the category of how are FIs generally you know doing with um, with third party risk I think they are doing um, a better job um, but but I'm not sure um, again that that they're you know they're they're keeping up as much as they need to be um, I think that one one thing I guess I would I would consider as, you know, potential advice uh, for senior management and the board as they're thinking about uh, those commercial opportunities uh, in, in partnering is to, you know, have, have faith and confidence in your, your core product set and your, you, you know, your, 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 
uh, your core business uh, because you know the delivery of financial products and services is not going to go away. Um, there are obviously innovations um, to be to be incorporated, uh, but there is a there is a there are core competences that financial institutions have, and I think that one of the things that they I would urge them to continually be conscious of is. Uh, you know that they are they are leveraging some of that uh, that that core infrastructure, that core competence, those core products, um, and should uh, you know should feel pretty good about um, the, the needs that they're meeting. Uh, and you know e even as they face these insurgents, um, you know some of this uh, you know some of this uh, the, these ideas will come and go. Many of them will maybe get funded, but then. You know, and end up not going anywhere, um, and many of the best ones will end up getting incorporated into financial institutions. I think so. Maybe what I'm saying, Brandon, is I I, I would invite the, them to take the long view, and, and not get too um, too tied up in thinking about or or worrying about missing that immediate commercial opportunity, because uh, it might not be actually as attractive um, over the longer term um, as they think. Sure. And, you know, it's interesting, I mean, ever since the OCC guidance 2013-29 uh, came out, there's just been so much push toward, you know, making the board and senior management get much more actively involved in third-party risk management. I think one of the ways to do it, quite frankly, besides, you know, the reporting requirements, making sure that you're getting, you know, regular reports brought to their attention, is simply documenting the you know, conversation right into minutes of regular meetings so that, you know, it's evident that it isn't just a one-time static uh, report that's being delivered, but we are, we are as third-party risk managers trying to keep our uh, board and senior management adequately informed and, and actively in, involved in, in regular day-to-day decision-making to the extent that's reasonably possible with, with the overloaded boards that most people have nowadays. <clears throat> right. One final question for you, Andy, and, and this is a particularly interesting one <clears throat> from my perspective, given your location there in, in D.C. You know, do, do you see any thing in terms of uh, relief coming in the short term, not not just in terms of general regulatory relief, which I think is being kicked around uh, in Congress all the time, but will any of this proposed regulatory reform trickle down to offer a break to those weary compliance officers as it pertains to risk management? <laughs> I think the weary compliance officers um, are, are going to have to, uh, you know, continue to uh, to, 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 to stay in harness for the foreseeable future. I think there are, um, there are certainly some potential, uh, you know, signs of relief. One, one is uh, in the area of reg tech and, uh, you know, the, the actual the application of technology to compliance tasks. I think that's, that's certainly one area where there could potentially be uh, some, some more gains. And I think that that also opens up the potential for, you know, in the compliance profession to be uh, moving into sort of high, some higher value and more judgment and, you know, qualitative judgment sorts of functions, uh, you know, as you're able to automate some of the, uh, some of the more, of the more rote tasks. Um, so I think that's, that's one potential area where there may be some relief just from workload. Um, I think there, in terms of regulatory relief, I think, uh, you know, there is, the possibility of the OCC is, is talking, you know, again more earnestly about the OCC fintech charter, um, and we have a state that has now passed uh, a fintech sandbox uh, statute, right, in, in in Arizona, where the attorney general has been charged with standing up that program, uh, which I guess is supposed to be live this summer. Uh, so, so those are some some bright spots. I think there's also some 
at the state level, there are some, and I connect this, frankly, with some of the OCC's efforts. Um, I think, in, again, thinking about fintech bank partnerships in particular, there is uh, some movement towards greater convergence and harmonization um, for, at least in, in some of the areas of state examinations and, and, and state applications. And I think so. I think those are some areas where uh, we should we should continue to watch and hope, and we can hope that there'll be further progress. Yeah, <clears throat> you know it's interesting because I, I have been following the Arizona thing fairly uh, carefully, and also been uh, eagerly awaiting to see where the OCC FinTech Charter goes. I, I think that you know the other regulatory agencies want to have their say in that as well. I know that a couple of them are, are very concerned. The OCC, do they even have the the authority to be issuing out that sort of charter? So it will be fascinating to see how it plays out. You know, as a former compliance officer, I can tell you that any time regulations change, whether they're getting tighter or looser, causes a lot of angst for the compliance officer because it's tough to manage that change. It's tough to know, you know, what rules am I playing by today and, you know, what are those rules going to look like six months or a year from now? And whether they're getting more stringent or getting more lenient, it's still, you know, you have to grapple with working through the change. And so I don't think there's real relief in sight in the near term. Well, Andy, I really appreciate the time. Any any final thoughts before we wrap things up today? Uh, no, maybe Brandon, just to just to think about the, those models. You know, the the fintech charter and the sandbox, for example, are examples where there could be could be relief in a go sort of for a go to loan strategy for um, you know a, an insurgent or a disruptive company in financial services, and maybe to think about it's such a it's such an interesting ecosystem dynamic where you know, when, when I'm counseling a, a, a client, a prospect um, a, that is a new entrant to financial services, that is the sort, that is the way they think. They think about a bank partnership and they think about a go-it-alone strategy, just to, of course, oversimplify. So when you make changes on the one side, if there is an, if, if, if a go-it-alone strategy is made um, easier, um, that will put pressure, I think, on um, the, the banks who want to do the partnerships. It will put pressure on a third-party risk management because uh, to the extent that um, that very attractive partner has a viable go-it-alone strategy, you know, the bank is at risk of losing that opportunity potentially if they are viewed as you know, too troublesome or too hard to work with. So just to bring it, that topic kind of back into the heart of the, of the, of the discussion um, for, uh, for anybody listening. Well, that's an excellent point, and I think it's a terrific place to end our conversation. Well, thank you again, Andy, and thanks, everybody, for joining in the session. Please do be on the lookout for future interviews uh, in this series. Thanks, everybody.